Hello everyone, and thanks for listening to the first episode of Some Good Medicine. My name is James Hubert. I'm a second year family medicine resident in Memorial University's NORFAM program, which is based out of Goose Bay, Labrador. Practicing here has its own challenges and rewards, so I decided to start a podcast that focuses on medical topics more unique to rural Canada, and especially its northeastern corner. It's my first podcast, and I want to keep it engaging, so if you have any feedback or ideas, I would love to hear from you. So let's jump to it. Suppose you've joined me for one of my regular flyout clinics to Cartwright Labrador for the week, and it's late May. The nurse has asked you to see Edward, a 54-year-old man who has been short of breath lately. He tells you he's had this dry cough and a tight chest for the past two months. It's not worsened with exercise, nor certain positions. There are no night symptoms, no hemoptysis, no fevers, no chest pain, no palpitations, no lightheadedness, no ankle swelling. He doesn't have any pets, hasn't moved recently, and no others are sick. He denies any rashes, but he has had a runny nose and itchy eyes lately. He's otherwise healthy, doesn't take any meds, and has a remote five-pack year smoking history. On exam, he appears well, isn't working hard to breathe, and he isn't overweight. His vitals are normal. His extremities are well perfused, there's no clubbing, and there's no swelling. His chest sounds perfectly normal. Perhaps you're a bit puzzled, so you ask him some more questions. He hasn't traveled anywhere recently, and hasn't lost or gained weight. There's nothing interesting on family history. Then you ask him what he does for work. He's clearly uncomfortable with the question, but says that he does seasonal work at the local crab processing plant. Before we go any further, I need to assure you all that despite there being several people in Cartwright with the same syndrome, Edward is a purely fictional patient. So what does Edward have? You guessed it, crab asthma, a type of occupational asthma. Fishing for crab is a big industry in this part of the world, and along with that, crab asthma is a significant health concern for the local population. Let's talk a bit of background. In 1992, a moratorium was placed on the Atlantic cod industry because of low stocks. Soon after, crab and shrimp harvesting took off, and in Newfoundland and Labrador, these became the two most economically important fisheries. Today, Canada is the world's largest exporter of snow crab by value, and Newfoundland and Labrador is Canada's largest crab exporter, with exports valued at $335 million in 2014. On the order of 10,000 people work in Canadian crab processing plants, and nearly half of these people are in Newfoundland and Labrador. Many of these plants are converted fish processing plants, which may or may not have had adequate ventilation systems for their new purpose. Crab harvesting and processing occurs from the beginning of April to the end of June. Processing involves cooking, cleaning, and boxing, and these activities lead to the release of aerosols of crab proteins. If a worker isn't already sensitized to these proteins, they may develop an elaboration of IgE antibodies to them, resulting in allergic rhinoconjunctivitis and or asthma. Because this elaboration takes time, there is often a latency between exposure and symptoms. It has also been observed that with occupational asthma and allergy in general, rhinoconjunctivitis usually precedes asthma symptoms. 
the prevalence of crab occupational asthma and allergy have both been estimated at about 15% among crab workers. Identified risk factors include smoking, a history of atopy, and female gender. That it is observed in females more frequently may be a reflection that certain jobs in crab processing are more often held by females. Cumulative exposure is also a risk factor, as a dose response has been observed between airborne concentration, time exposed, and prevalence. So what does crab asthma, and occupational asthma in general, look like? Patients may have a combination of cough, sputum production, wheeze, chest tightness, and shortness of breath that affects them at work, and is relieved away from work. Their physical exam, in your office, may be entirely normal. How then do you diagnose it? Diagnosis is a judgment call based on a combination of history, physical exam, pulmonary function testing, and immunological testing. Formal PFTs are impractical in a crab processing plant, but doing them in clinic may be helpful in diagnosing asthma in general. If using a methylcholine challenge, note that this test becomes less sensitive the more days since a patient has been exposed at their workplace. An alternative may be to give someone like Edward a peak expiratory flow meter and have him measure his PEF multiple times per day for several days while at work. These readings could then be compared to those taken during a continuous period of time when he's not at work. Finally, skin prick testing may be useful in potential occupational asthma and allergy, as a negative skin prick test virtually rules out the corresponding antigen as a culprit. You discuss the possibility of PEF testing with Edward, but he's not interested. He also says he doesn't have time to travel to Goose Bay to visit the friendly local respiratory therapist for PFTs. Regardless, his story is fairly convincing. You tell him he likely has crab asthma, and that the best treatment is to avoid exposure. This doesn't sit well with him, and he asks if there is an alternative. He also suggests that perhaps it will just go away on its own. You tell him that unfortunately, occupational asthma rarely disappears by itself. This brings me to one of the most important points of this talk. Crab asthma has serious economic and social implications. The Canadian crab industry employs people from the Atlantic provinces, where there are limited job opportunities to begin with. Crab harvesting and processing is also seasonal work, with people often highly dependent on these few months of income. When a person develops crab asthma, they may be reluctant to accept or disclose their diagnosis. They might also refuse the first-line treatment, which is to avoid exposure to crab aerosols. In one series of interviews, 26 out of 27 crab asthma sufferers said they would not consider giving up their job, saying they could not afford it or would not be able to find another job in the same community. Edward fits into this category. He refuses to quit his job, is uncomfortable approaching his boss for another task, and does not want to go through workers' compensation. In this scenario, treatment is the same as any case of asthma. Go up the ladder from short-acting bronchodilators to inhaled corticosteroids to long-acting beta agonists and leukotriene receptor antagonists. It is still important to let your patient know that avoidance of triggers is the best treatment. Along the same line, personal protective equipment such as gloves and a mask may be helpful as well. You start Edward on salbutamol and budesonide, and he does okay for the rest of the season. He refuses to use a mask because he doesn't want anyone to know about his condition. Two weeks after the end of the season, he visits you in your next traveling clinic. He tells you he stopped his puffers, 
and started to feel short of breath again. Well, it turns out that occupational asthma symptoms can persist for several years after stopping exposure. The length of convalescence is proportional to the duration of symptoms during exposure, which is another reason that complete avoidance is the best treatment. Note that there is very little evidence on the long-term effects of bronchodilators and inhaled corticosteroids in occupational asthma, and this should be discussed with patients. I hope you enjoyed the inaugural episode of Some Good Medicine. Special thanks to Joanne McGee for her clever christening, Jason Shaw for his catchy music, and the faculty of Memorial University of Newfoundland's Department of Family Medicine for their blessings. Check out somegoodmedicine.ca for the show notes and for other episodes which will be coming soon. You can also subscribe to Some Good Medicine on iTunes. See you next time.